Five apples, five trees, five tiny little buzzing bees. Five tables, five chairs, five monkeys jumping over there. Five candles, five flames, five smiley happy dancing dames. Five farmers, five books, five very hungry sitting ducks. Five chickens, five sheep. Hey guys, I'm Tyler Hosley, and this week I learned that salmon burgers aren't good at all. Don't eat those, ever. <laughs> I'm Dave Gray, and, well, I learned that years ago. I'm sorry you had to learn it now, T, now that you're old and stuck in your ways. Yep. Uh, I'm Kevin Matthews. Someone once sang that one is the loneliest number that you'll ever know. I put it to them that five is also quite lonely and quite painful at times. Uh, Hi, I'm Craig, English film nerd living in Wales And thanks to this week's theme My letterbox is It's starting to look like a cry for help Basically I think think if my mum had letterbox She'd be calling me like two, three times a day Just just to make sure I was keeping it together It's It's very strange And uh, welcome to Raiders of the Podcast Yay, that's That's why I don't update my letterbox. Fucking remembered that shit. Yeah, only took. (laughs) I got there. Oh, it's me again, isn't it? Yes. Um, So close. So close. I'll get there. That victory lap Uh, is a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah, it, it got me out of breath and threw me off. Uh... I've not watched many films this week. I, if I have, they haven't been of, of note because I can't remember them. The only film I watched that I really, that really stuck with me was uh, Dutch Danish horror thriller Speak No Evil, which I was really excited for because it, it, it's already kind of notorious for being bleak, and that was very good. I enjoyed that. Um, it's not. It's a Shudder film, a Shudder original, even. So I was. That put me off a little bit, but it turned out to be very impressive. It's it's a little predictable in terms of the direction the story takes, but I don't really have many complaints beyond that. I know a few folks have commented on the characters making daft decisions along the way, but yeah, it probably does tip into being a bit too daft, but it's really in keeping with the themes of the movie. The idea of these characters being essentially disarmed by their own notions of civility and etiquette and you know how some people nearly always men nearly always men would rather like risk potential death and unfathomable horror than just you know be incorrect or be embarrassed or be made to feel even the mildest bit emasculated they will you know risk it all rather than feel that and yeah, you know, thematically, it's it's an interesting little thriller, and it's very, very well acted. It is excruciatingly tense pretty much the whole way through. And I'd heard a lot about the ending, and yeah, it, it delivers. It is every bit as deeply horrific and traumatic as I had been told it was. So that was a bit of a peach. I enjoyed that one. Have you caught that yet, Kevin? No, I'm hoping to get to... Um in time for the weekend I'll, I'll make it my main shudder choice nice I'm interested to hear your thoughts or read your thoughts rather um, other than that 
not a lot. Uh, my lady and I, we've been uh, binging old episodes of a UK reality show called Don't Tell the Bride. Do you have that in America? I don't know. Okay, here's the basic layout. Uh, they get uh, couples who want to get married. The uh, the men are just the most irresponsible men on earth, and they're given like 13 grand and carte blanche to organise weddings with zero input from their fiancés, and the fiancés aren't allowed to know anything about it until the day. So you're just getting a lot of brides who want, you know, classy, understated affairs in their local church, just something really nice and simple and family orientated and then you've got all of these idiots who just they just blow a fortune putting together some sort of unhinged theme wedding like a doctor who wedding or a fucking salo wedding it's it's really really good fun i like a bit of reality tv trash stephanie does too and that's uh that's 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 one of our current favorites uh apart from that i'm watching a thing i watched my usual amount of televised funerals which is zero I watched zero strangers' funerals this week, as 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 usual. But yeah, that's me. I've had a really quiet one. I uh, had a lot of catching up to do after nice little holiday jaunt, and fortunately enough, there was uh, an extra day off for a lot of people in Britain with the Monday and nothing on TV at all. So. I was able to hole up in the cinema room. Dubious viewing choices. I mean, I finished the Lake Placid series. So, you know, these are where my life choices have brought me. Hmm. And, and See, none you of say, them. You say that like you yeah, haven't done yeah. this repeatedly. Oh, well. I mean, just since we've been not, doing the podcast. Yeah. What was the one with like 13 entries that you took on? Uh, Which something oh yeah yeah um is it just called witchcraft ah, yeah that's the one i, th- I think maybe yep. yeah then how many how many amityvilles did you watch i don't wait i'm way behind on the amityvilles i i thought i was doing well and i, I saw some of the bottom of the barrel ones and now i mean tyler's eventually got to make us watch the amityville vibrator or whatever it's called but um other than that, I just can't start keeping up with them. Okay. So I guess, I guess really? in that respect, the Lake Placids are quite painless. But anyway, you were saying, I'm sorry. No, no, sorry. Uh, they're, they're bad, but I got to the end, um, and then treated myself with some good stuff. I rewatched House of Flying Daggers for the first time in probably almost 20 years. Oh. It's uh, it's really, really lovely. I, I think I'd, but I'd forgotten so much of it that I didn't uh remember at all the, the twists and turns. That I don't. It, it sounds funny to say this. I don't think I wouldn't spoil the film for anyone, but I don't think they really, really contribute to the plot in a way that, you know, a twisty, turning film designed that way would, if that makes sense. Like, it's about relationships and then you have the gorgeous moments and some beautifully shot um, 
choreographed moments. Some of them are, are action. There's a couple of action bits there. Uh, some of them aren't. You have that. And you have things building to a really, you know, a really satisfying ending. But I think, I think a lot of the twists and turns, it's not that they're unnecessary, but ultimately by the time you get to the end, you can forget all of that anyway because it's, it's set up in a way that, you know, you're so invested in, in the finale in a way. It really doesn't even matter about the bigger picture. The whole, uh, you know, main plotline of the rebel army, the flying daggers, uh, trying to fight back against the corrupt government. It's, yeah, it's really, really lovely. I don't think it's real top tier for that kind of film, but it's definitely high up there and just looks so gorgeous throughout. And I've got a Mangalore name, but is it, is it Zhang Ji? Close enough. The lead and uh, you know she's talented and lovely and uh, yeah also just mesmerizing. I mean look we can all agree she's no Michelle Yeoh but then there's only one Michelle Yeoh apart from in the many multi-dimensional uh, multiverse links. And then a bit of a different slant but equally classic I would say arguably more so. I finally watched Mildred Pierce. I bought the Criterion Blu-ray. I'd heard mixed things about it because I think it's, you know, it is classed as a film noir and it has elements there, but it is a kind of mix of melodrama and film noir. There are times where it could feel like a, a black and white Douglas Sirk movie. But I loved Mildred Pierce and I'm happy that I've seen another superb Joan Crawford performance. She's the lead in this. Uh, she's absolutely brilliant. Um, and as I say, when Craig picked, I think it was you that picked Johnny Guitar, wasn't it, Craig? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I've had that on myself. Well, so I, I think from then, if I've seen Joan Crawford in something else, it's, it's probably a film I've not been looking out for her in or, you know, not one of her celebrated uh, turns. So Mildred Pierce, I knew that she was uh, praised for it. But, yeah, it's great. And uh, Anne Blythe is very good in this, playing her eldest daughter, Vida. There's there's a good little cast. It's just, um, it was kind of perfect Monday afternoon viewing for me. And I'd say to treat myself, put it on, block out the world. And I'm glad I did, and I would encourage others to do so. But as I say, I think I think some people, if they are expecting a kind of pure noir, especially it's based on a novel by James M. Cain as well, uh, so they might just see that and have heard of its reputation attached to the film noir tag. I would I would hold back from that um, sort of aspect uh, view it as a as a drama slash melodrama first with film noir elements that become clear as everything plays out yeah just really good i'm assuming you've seen it dave i don't know if craig will have seen it i don't think tyler would ever want to necessarily bump it to the top of his list but it's great film 
Yes, I agree. No, I've not. Have seen you seen it. Craig? Oh, I haven't. I I think, yeah, I I think you dig it. Like I know I know Tyler watches a wide variety of films, but you know, there are no lollipops being inserted anywhere in this one, so it's um, it's it's not ever going to be top of his list. But you say yeah, it's drama I, with a bit of noir in the same way as uh, say in a lonely place, which is more of a drama, but as a touch of. Uh, yeah. In a way, yes. Like I, I think by the time it got to the end credits, and I thought about the elements in place, I was in my mind. I'm like, well, yeah, it's it's pretty much film noir uh, and picks a lot more of the boxes than it would seem to from the start. But I just yeah. I I wouldn't want people to to go for it for that reason and then have them feel, oh well, it doesn't do enough, you know, that I wanted for us. But yeah, getting to the end, I, I don't know how Dave feels about it, but I was like, yeah, it's got you know, it's got things that you would check off the list for a film noir. I'm like, yeah, it does fall into that category. It's not a, a huge stretch. Okie dokie. And that was that was me, you know, them them Lake Placids take up quite a bit of time. <laughs> I had a I had a pretty short week. I uh, I showed my niece Gremlins finally, and you know it's it's Gremlins. It's kind of a classic. Uh, she she was enamored with it. I did not expect her to love it that much. Like she loved like the scene. I was like, oh, okay, she's she's young. Maybe maybe the scene with the mom because you know there's it's one of the best scenes of the movie where the mom goes from the attic and out the door and she gets attacked by all the Gremlins but Spike and. And it's pretty good. I was like, oh, I don't know. That's that's kind of violent. And she was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Kill those fucking little shits. I was like, yeah. I I don't know if I'm doing something right or something wrong or if I should be terrified, but fuck yeah. It taps into all the kids' naughty instincts, I think, Gremlins. <laughs> so they, they love all of that stuff. I don't, what, what age is Killer again, though, Dave? She's, uh, she's seven. Seven. Yeah, I think, I think Sadie was about eight or nine when I showed her Gremlins, but... I'd almost gone along, I think, I think it was going to be a 12A. I could have taken it to the cinema, but I was quite glad I didn't because you kind of forget how intense that feels with the kitchen scene. Yeah. Well, and well, and there's the, there's the Santa Claus scene, which, you know, that's like a, for a lot of people, that's a triggering one. But like, she knows about the big lie. So like when the girl's telling the story, where she's supposed to be older than Killa, she's like, why the fuck was she so dumb she didn't know Santa wasn't real? And I was like, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry that it insulted you. My bad. That was not the plan. But, you know, she she loved the movie generally, just didn't understand why it took the girl so long to realize that. <laughs> she's like, serves your dad right from raising an idiot. And I was like, damn, child. Don't be that cruel. Then I giggled. And I watched I watched a Swedish film uh, called We Are Bast, or, you know, We Are the Best, which is, um, it's about a, a trio of punk girls in Stockholm who, uh, you know, band together and they have a band and it was, it was cute. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on most coming of age films, except if it's 
like something interesting because like so many of them are just the same to me. I know Tyler loves them and I've seen like five movies and I cannot tell any of his coming of age films apart. I'm sorry. I watched them. I talked about them at the time, but like once the week is over, they are all just this blur of growing up where for some reason nobody has acne. They're like relatable problems. They all have the same four movie problems. But what the fuck ever. But like occasionally I love them. Like, um, uh, crap, what's it called? The Fits? The Fits is great. Uh, we Are Best is great. It was, yeah, it was a solid one. I, I recommend it. It's actually on Criterion. If you want to check that out. And besides that, I saw Pearl. I really liked Pearl. Uh, Mia Goth is excellent. It's It looks great. Like, it's incredibly well shot. And the production design is wonderful. And, you know, it should probably win some of those snooty awards in a couple months, but it won't. Goth should definitely be nominated for an actress award, but she won't be because it's a horror movie. And I really don't want to have to argue with people that it's a horror movie. Like, I have to argue with people that Jaws is a horror movie. Or Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie. So, you know... It's a shame because Goth deserves it, but it's not going to happen because it's a horror movie. It's a pretty unapologetic horror movie, too. It doesn't even, like, pretend to be anything than what it is, but it's it's an amazing performance and totally worth going to see. Like, I never thought, like, if you told me January, I'd have gone to the theater to watch two Ty West movies and be anxiously ex- expecting a third, I would have called you a lying bitch. But no, you would have just been like a fucking genius who could see the future. And I'd build a temple to you now. But, you know, it would have been a rough few months before X came out. <laughs> I heard he pulled a like a Roger Corman and just said to the producers, look, we've got these sets. Can make another yeah. movie. Yeah, well, I think they were stuck with, um, yeah, they, they, they had some money and they had the sets. And they were, hey, let's let's do a prequel. And he and Goth went off, and they wrote the screenplay, and they they just filmed it, and they were like, "Hey, here's two movies for the price of half of one." Very cool. Which is why, like, I I I'm excited to see what they do with Maxine. I really am, but I'm kind of I'm a little nervous now that they've had like time to you know, like fuck with it too much. You know, if you if you get what I'm saying, like. Cause it's, it's... Well, I'll have the reception to the other movies in mind when they make this one, which they wouldn't have had with Pearl, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe they sat down and they thought up Pearl and Maxine at the same time, and they stick to it. Just, I don't know, the setting, L.A. in the 80s, it's, you know... I mean, I'm interested. I really want to see what they do with it. But part of the reason Pearl really works for me is it's it's something kind of different. It's, you know, 1918 Psycho in, like, it's different, which, you know, I I just love seeing things that are a little different in the theaters. Why my best viewing this year is still uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. (sighs) And and that Nick Cage movie. The unbearable weight of massive talent, yeah. I just, I totally brain farted, you know, because like everything else I see is just like same old, same old shit. And it doesn't mean it's not fun or enjoyable. 
it can still be that. It can still be really made, well made, same old, same old. But like there was, there was an endless number of trailers in front of Pearl. Uh, you you saw it also, right, T? Yes. How many trailers were there in front of your showing? Uh, fuck the AMC has like thirty minutes worth yeah. of trailers in front of it. I've yeah. seen that damn smile trailer way too many oh times. Oh my god! Want to see that movie? Yeah, Never. same, same. Well, that's just it. Like I was, I was at an independent theater. And there was still, like, so many fucking ads, and they all looked like... Like, they all made me not want to see the movies. Like, you kind of fail if that's... Like, I... Okay, I get it. The the new Olivia Wilde movie trailer came up, and it's like, okay, I get it. It's fucking Stepford Wives. So fucking what? And Smile came up, and it's like, yeah, I've seen this. And then, like, some random bullshit exorcism movie, and it's like, okay, I don't... Like, it's all the same shit. It's all retreaded shit. And there, again, it can be good shit. It can be well done shit. But like, I just, I've gotten to the point where I'm just so desperate for something that's different and interesting. It's like, you know, this year I got, I lucked out. I got Pearl and uh, Unbearable Weight and Everything Everywhere All at Once and Lamb. And they were all interesting flicks I saw in the theater. Oh, love Lamb. Yeah, but everything else that's coming up that I know of. I haven't seen Barbarian yet, and I've heard really good things about it. But like most things, it's just like I've seen this, and I'm just kind of getting tired of these endless retreads. But I'm sure that'll pass. I was just hoping that after like a two-year pandemic, where there's very few movies out, like there'd be some real interesting, weird shit getting wide release. And well, I think I named all three that were the real interesting, weird shit that got a wide release. Are the Ty West films A24? Uh, well, those two are. I, I don't know about the others offhand. Okay. I just wondered, like, will studios ever pay attention to the fact that you can make films on the cheap and make good money on them? You don't have to throw, like, half a billion dollars at your local, you know, your latest blockbuster. They always just seem to be, like, betting big on one thing instead of just making a bunch of interesting films. I'm sure these Thai West films have, have made some good money. Yeah, I'd expect. I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, I don't get the business side of it. I, I kind of wish I did just, just a little bit more so, like, I could understand the thought process, but I don't, so. You guys have seen that movie Truth or Dare, right? Yes. Yeah. Smile, doesn't that remind you exactly like that movie with the same emoji like smile face? The I, emoji like smile face. Yes. Evil demon that can only be seen by the person that's coming for it. Yeah. Dies I'm watching within, that trailer. I'm like, yep. I've seen this shitty movie before. So it's. Now, I actually saw that. That uh, shitty movie was done twice in the same year. Once, like, in a direct to video that was better, and once in the wide movie that had. What that? What's her name? Who you know? CW oh, girl the, who's awful. Oh, the Pretty Little Liars girl. Yeah. Um, shit, I forgot her name. Uh, I know it was uh, it was directed by what's his name, the Jeff Wadlow dude that did like Never Back Down and stuff. So it's. But she also made Fantasy Island, which is one of the worst theatrical horror movies oh, I've seen in years. Fucking so. Fantasy Island. Now that was that was a bad year. Like it, I. Fucking Blumhouse. That would have been a 
cool movie if it had a decent director behind it because it had a cool concept and it could have been easily turned into a horror movie, but Jeff Wadlow is just generic, so. I only got about 20 uh, minutes yes, into I... that, and all I could think was, like, who is this for? Who who on earth does any of this appeal to? Is It was beyond me. Um, it's so Jason bad. Blum, because he had the rights to Fantasy Island, and he was like, I'm going to make this and come on it. That way they can't make another TV oh, series or anything. And then they still did, and that was even that was even worse. I don't know how that fucking happened. I saw that in theaters, and when that character walks into the armory full of weapons and goes, yippee ki yeah, I wanted to walk out. I was so close to walking out after <laughs> that. I just, I couldn't. I was like, I can't take this movie. I just can't do it. Um. But, uh, I, yes, I went to the theater and saw Pearl as well, which, like Dave, I absolutely loved. Uh, Mia Goth is incredible in it. She has, like, a five-minute uncut monologue, which blew my fucking mind. Uh, the movie itself is fantastic. It looks gorgeous. Some of those establishing shots are stunning. I, I love the score and the retro-style editing. Between X and Pearl, I'm going to have two movies from the same franchise in my top ten of the year, so... And like Dave, I never thought I would be praising two Ty West movies in a row. So that happened. Um, stoked for Maxine. Can't want to wait. And uh, I watched two, not one, guys, two Jimmy Fallon movies this week. Two. Why? Why? Watched, why do you hate yourself, Dave? You we love you. Like, do do we <laughs> do we need to like stage an intervention? You know, you're safe here. You're with friends. We love and care for you. Why the fuck do you do that to yourself? Like, I'm more worried about you than Kevin. I mean, I know Kevin's cry for helps with Lake Placid. He'll be fine because, you know, he did Witchboard. But, you know, you I'm not so sure about. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was going to pick Fever Pitch for the podcast one day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do that to Kevin, Dave, and Greg. So I am going to just watch it myself. Um. I like Fever Pitch, actually. Uh, it's actually a cute little rom-com, but I'll watch Drew Barrymore in anything because she's wonderful. Uh, I, and I watched Taxi which with him and Queen Latifah, which I also don't think is that terrible. I mean, it's generic as fuck. I mean, it's the most generic of generic movies ever, but it's not terrible. It's just kind of there. I think Queen Latifah is actually funny in it. She's funnier than Jimmy Fallon is in it. Um, oh, definitely. She will some... carry some awful shit, like all on yes. her own. Yeah, Queen Latifah's a beast. She is amazing. She is, and she's amazing in that movie too. I mean, she carries that entire movie. Uh, Tom Brady's wife is in it as a villain. She cannot act. She's very pretty, but she can't <laughs> act. Um, it's got uh, the girl from Summer of Sam. What's her name? Uh, Jennifer Esposito. She is gorgeous, but she's really bad in that movie, which is shocking because I really like her. Uh, but like I said, it's just generic, but it's it was entertaining. It's it is what it is with taxi. It's that Jimmy Fallon led action comedy directed by Tim Story. So <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So it is what it is. An abomination. It is it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean not a complete it abomination. Is. Not a complete abomination though, because Queen Latifah is awesome. So and she she yeah. saves it. But I just um, I I just I don't get Jimmy. I don't get any of the talk show. Do you know who the do you know how many decent talk show hosts there have been in my lifetime? Like late night talk show hosts that were not trash? Craig Ferguson. Craig Ferguson. And uh, then we got to go back to the 70s, Dick Cavett. You know, I mean, two. And there's been like hundreds. Craig Ferguson is the shit. And Dick Cavett is fucking awesome. 
why is it so hard to find people that just talk for a living? James like, Corden? No. Don't don't even fucking make that oh, joke. Oh, Craig. Don't. <laughs> yeah. You okay. motherfucker. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, Jimmy Fallon's whole job is to interview people and not laugh at his own shitty jokes, and all he does is giggle at himself for an hour, and people watch this. Maybe that's why nobody listens to us, because we do not understand people. Mm-mm. What is the guy that used to... Jimmy uh, Fallon is it? not Chris Kattan. They are two separate people <laughs> who worked on the same show at the same time. Like, what and why? Cloning. Sorry, T. No, that's okay. Uh, what's the guy that used to host the man show that has a late night talk show host right now? Too? Oh, um, um, yeah, Jimmy Kimmel, right? Jimmy Kimmel. He's yeah. okay. He's okay. No, no, he's not. And the stunt he pulled at the Emmys shows he's not okay. He is just I mean, another fair, I don't watch any of these, desperate so. for attention, but. man. See, I don't either. And then somebody will send me like a bunch of clips of their shows. Like, see, Dave, they're great. And it's like, no, they're not. God, they're why I don't talk to you anymore, Bev. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways, that was me. Oh. I ended that week with two Jimmy Fallon movies. So there you Poor go. Bass, like T's dad. I know. I know you're listening, sir. If he's not okay, let us know. We worry. This week, we watch part fives. <sighs> that included. Death Wish 5, The Face of Death, Hellraiser, Inferno, The Love Bug, 97, and George A. Romero's Diary of the Dead. Um, I was, I was gonna, like, be like, oh, hey, Kevin, since you escaped from the Queen's, you know, funeral chamber, you should go first, but I'm not gonna do that, because I want to talk about Diary of the Dead. And, uh, I, oh, man, fucking Diary of the Dead. So, <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the dead plague. The zombies are rising. Everybody's, the dead are coming back to life and eating people. And a camera crew from Pitt who are making a terrible, uh, horror film in the woods are, um, you know, driving around in a Winnebago to get to their rich parents' houses. I I fucking I fucking hate this movie. I hate this movie so much. And I I mean I've gone on the record. I love George Romero. When he is on, his stuff is great. Some of my favorite movies are Romero films. Some of my least favorite films are Romero films also. This is Firmly in the least favorite category. First off, the script is atrocious. Nobody talks like these people talk. Uh, the di- the dialogue is just some of the worst bullshit. And, like, the points they're trying to make are, like, old man screaming at clouds bullshit also. It's just, it's it's bad. Do you know how many times they compare cameras to f- actual fucking guns in this movie? Fourteen. Guess what? A camera? Not a gun. Doesn't work like a gun. Uh, the cast, the main cast is atrocious. These are some of the worst actors you will ever see assembled anywhere. Mm-hmm. The supporting cast, on the other hand, 
is filled with some of the best people to ever act in Canada in the past 40 years. Tatiana Malzani is an excellent actress. She is the only, the first one of the kid group to die. That's not a spoiler. It's in the first 10 minutes. It's like she has 13 lines. 13 lines, and they're the best delivered lines in that Winnebago. Meanwhile, voiceover girl, before Malzani speaks, has had 132 lines, and they are all delivered in the most flat, horrific monotone ever. Just, oh my god, has that woman ever, like, is she alive? Is she a zombie? Did George find a way to bring actors back from the dead? Because that's the only thing that explains any of these performances. Other folks in it are, um, have you guys ever seen a uh, Nero Wolf mystery from, uh, A&E in the late nineties, early two thousands? No, it is excellent. And it used a repertory cast and two actors from that are in this. Uh, one plays a mute, uh, Amish man. And that's RD Reed who, uh, passed away a few years ago. He was an excellent character actor. And the other one is, um, Boyd Banks, who, uh, he's the guy in the back of the truck, the armorer, who you've all seen in other stuff. He's always really good. Uh, the guy that runs that community was played by, um, oh, I'm having the worst brain fart. Martin Roach. Martin Roach is an excellent actor. An excellent actor. He was, um, Picard in, uh, the Reacher series. See, I thought Craig would go, oh, okay, but no, okay, fine. No, you haven't no, seen Reacher? I have. Really yeah, yeah he, was, he was the evil FBI guy in that. Excellent actor. Hmm. The guy stealing the TV, the um, the biker in, in the opening, is um, George Buzza. George Buzza might be one of the best actors out of Canada ever. Dude is excellent. Probably best known for voicing Beast in the 90s X-Men cartoon. And here all they use him for is delivering one joke about stealing panties. So You're such a nerd. It is it's incredible. Oh, yeah. oh, oh <laughs> no, I fucking admit that. I don't just admit it. I gladly admit it. I'm a huge nerd. Yeah, I knew these people by sight. Just so you know, and their <laughs> names I had memorized. That's why forgetting uh, Roach's name for a second really just throws me off. Um, and the characters are tr there's there's a girl in this that is supposed to be from Texas and has the worst Texas accent ever. But the problem is she forgets it on everything but every twelfth word because she's played by someone from Ontario who has never met anyone that ever was South of the American border before she met George Romero. And she is the best actor in the cast. Everyone else is atrocious. You, like, this is one of those movies where you cannot wait for everyone to die. They stand around filming their friends get eaten for no fucking reason. And then the narrator, because the, 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 the setup is that, you know, oh, we've edited it together and added music cues, is the most callous asshole ever. Like, folks are being attacked. They're friends, and they're adding goofy sound effects and jokey music cues. Like, like these people are sociopaths. <laughs> they're not. This isn't like a statement on anything, except apparently Romero thinks all film students are insane. 
it oh i hate it i hate it very much i watched the uh when romero passed away we did uh romero special and i watched all of his filmography and you should go back and listen that's like episode eight it was a while ago and it was a good one we covered we talked about some of his good movies and i got to reminisce about things i loved we made jokes about the muffiny chest of uh ted savini it was wonderful this this was this is just this is awful like i never i never want to have to watch this movie again i'll never have to watch this movie again i'm so glad the fact that kevin made me watch this movie again means someday i will get revenge and he will look back on his life and go where did it all go wrong and this is it this is the <laughs> moment where you made a choice and it was the wrong choice kevin Gun to your head, Dave. You have to watch either Die Over Dead right now or Born Into Mafia. Born Into Mafia. Born Into Mafia. Straight up. Me now. You're sick, Kevin. Born, in, Born Into Mafia is terrible. Born Into Mafia, I can excuse. It's made by an insane egoist with no money and, uh, you know, just the desire to have sex with his uh, co-star. What's, mm. what's Romero's excuse? Romero had a budget. Like, he sat down, he actually thought about this script. He hired real actors and not just people he met at the mall. I mean, no. He said that his his filming schedule and his budget were pretty much slashed in half right before they started filming. They they gutted it. And, yeah, he's kind of twisting in the wind. Which, okay, I, I I will grant that. That doesn't excuse the actors. No, but he still or made the films script. before. Y- yeah, you s- he'd made movies before. Like, I I can understand, okay, so there's fewer zombies and there's fewer effects. I get that. I I accept that. I, I can forgive that. It's the fact that they set out to make this film thinking the script and cast were okay. That's what I can't forgive. Because, like, like, the effects are fine, what little ones there are. There's none that, like, stick out as, like, oh, that's a terrible shot. Like, they're, they're fun. Like, the melting brain looks, you know, the acid kill looks pretty good for today. Well, I mean, for then, not for today, because today it would look, like, hyper-realistic, and it would be amazing. And instead, it just, it looks fine for a 2000 CG shot. But, like, there's no, there's no excuse for the issues, honestly. And it, it suffers from Romero trying to live up to Romero. If he just set out to tell a good zombie movie zombie story it might have been okay but instead he he feels the need and it's like the problem with bruiser and survival of the dead and a lot of his other films where he feels the need to make it commentary and live up to the romero legacy and it just he doesn't have anything to say about the internet he doesn't have anything to say about youtube and he doesn't even bother to learn how these things work or how they're working at the time because 2000 youtube in 2021, YouTube are totally different animals. Um, and it's just, you know, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And it, it's, it's a shame because, you know, I'm sure there's things you could have said about these if you'd actually taken the time to do more than, uh, damn, change of, of, of the youth peoples. And, it just—it's kind of sad to see a master hit such a, a, a need to do this in order to, you know, 
work and survive towards the end of his career. It's just it's just a movie that makes me sad overall. Born into Mafia mm. doesn't do that. Born into Mafia just makes me hate. And it's a passionate, righteous hate, but I would watch that over Diary of the Dead again. Any day of the week. Gun to gun to my head. I'm I'm enjoying Born into Mafia. And it's English language Russian library. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll go. Um, yeah, this is my first viewing of Diary of the Dead since uh, watching it and hating it on release in 2007 and then reappraising and hating it even more at some point in 2008. Uh, this time, against all odds, I hated it even more than I did the previous two times. Uh, like, I like David. I love George Romero. As far as I'm concerned, he is... He is the father of modern horror and he did more to shape the genre than perhaps any other filmmaker. I, I adore him. So it really sucks that he made a one out of 10 film, like an actual honest to God, one out of 10 film. Cause that's, I'm not, I'm not going over the top of it or anything. That's just a really objective stance I'm taking on this film. And a George Romero found footage zombie film. It feels like the most open, open goal ever like like Pele playing 90 minutes against some lawn furniture kind of open goal like there's there's no way he can miss but he just he suffers from just this fundamental misunderstanding of the found footage genre like apart from some very heavy-handed commentary the found footage format it serves almost no purpose at all in this film it feels like just a traditionally filmed zombie movie and, you know, he keeps one survivor around solely to excuse the use of music throughout and the editing because I don't think he wants to take on the challenge of making a found footage film. He just wants to make a traditional film dressed as one. And you just, you never feel the sense of immersion that is the entire point of found footage. So you just end up with this dreary, ugly looking movie. Uh, yeah, and with David Class and characters, they're just the most flat, personality-free dullards ever committed to film. Like, Romero seems to actively despise every single character in this. And he's, he's someone who will give you a character to root for. Even if it's not a particularly well-written character, he will give you someone to root for. And I assume in this film it's meant to be like Michelle Morgan, the lone voice of reason, but no, she just... She comes off as the most pompous, self-important, moralistic bore, like with exactly zero human quality. She's awful, and there are just no stakes, no stakes to whether these characters live or die. I don't want them to live. I don't want them to die. I simply wish to stop seeing them and hearing them forever. Uh, yeah, the dialogue's awful. Uh, like the banter between the characters is painful. We've got to get her to a doctor. Yeah, a live one. Shut up. And ugh, fucking commentary isn't even commentary. It's just people flat out saying technology is great until it doesn't work. I'm like, yes, George. Jesus Christ. Uh, the pacing is leaden. Like, the unnecessary soundtrack. You should not have a soundtrack in your found footage movie. It's somehow it is dull and it is also distracting, which is a feat in itself. 
and just even when it gets to basics, like you know your basic zombie mayhem, like the gore gags, they're just not very good because I don't care that they're happening and they're too reliant on CGI, or they're just very dumb. Like like Dave mentioned, the effects are decent when the guy smashes a jar of acid over a zombie's head, but he doesn't get any on himself or anyone else. Just flat palm smashes a jar of acid on someone's head and is is fine because. And he's fine because no thought is given to any of it. No thought is really given to any of this. It's just... It's just so fucking lazy. Like, I despise it. It's... There's no love. There is no passion. It's just... It's just George paying his bills. And as far as I'm concerned, George... George Romero's bills should have been totally covered for the rest of his life at this point. He made a lot of other people a lot of fucking money. The, the zombies you see in The Walking Dead and a million other films, he fucking invented those. Those, everyone got rich except for George Romero, and he should not have had to degrade himself with this fucking shit. And like Dave said, you know, the end result of me watching this film is not that I'm pissed off. I'm just fucking sad. Sad for George Romero. Just, you know, completing his legacy with shit like this is sad. And... Ugh, this movie is genuinely one out of ten piece of trash. That's me. So, uh, I saw Diary of the Dead in the theater back in 2007, and I dozed off like four times. Um, Diary of the Dead is a bad movie. It's not Romero's worst because Survival of the Dead exists, but it's bad. Uh, and it's super fucking desperate to have some kind of commentary, but it just comes off of a grumpy old man who wrote a script based off his hatred of YouTube and a, and young film students. It's just, it's so desperate and so sad. The cast is bad. Uh, there isn't a single character that has an ounce of personality. I mean, to the point that I couldn't even tell you a single character's name in the movie. I just, and I just fucking watched it again. Uh, the zombie stuff is bad, which is shocking because that's where Romero should shine. But no, it's just dull and boring. The, the whole thing feels like a shitty student film that's trying to emulate the style of Romero, but totally failing to do so, which makes it even worse because Romero fucking wrote and directed this thing, which just makes me sad. I'm, I'd rather watch Bruiser on repeat over and over again than have to sit through this again. Because at least... Born into Mafia? Has- uh, no, I'd rather watch this than Born in the Mafia. <laughs> Absolute savage T. You're a sick boy. <laughs> I mean, I never want to watch it again, either one of them, but if, I guess if I had to pick Diary of the Dead. But, uh, but yeah, I, I read in the filmography of George Romero, I would watch Bruiser again because that, at least it has the Misfits in it. I mean, yeah, it's the Jerry only era of the Misfits, but still, the Misfits. If it was the Graves era of the Misfits, I would have given that movie an 8 out of 10, but. You know, instead it's just a mediocre five because Graves is still the the best vocalist for the Misfits. I said it. Uh, anyways, Diary of the Dead is awful. And like Craig, it's a shame that Romero fell so hard with this movie, but he fell even worse with his next movie. So whatever. Hey, can somebody, okay, like, okay, the budget was slashed, but a guy goes home to his rich home and he stays in his mummy makeup and costume. Like, they mm. couldn't have just hired one less zombie in the background and bought him a $20 shirt? They, they, they couldn't even yeah, have done that's... that? 
it's it's been it's, four days. Yeah. He's just hanging out at home yeah. in his mummy outfit for giggles. You know what else bugged me? The opening scene where we watched them make their mummy film. Like, I know these people aren't meant to be the best filmmakers, but you're telling me they didn't walk through the scene and what was meant to happen in it. Like, he caught her and was killing her. Like, that's a basic thing you would just, the director would explain for the scene. You don't kill this lady, okay? You know, because she's in the rest of the film. Are we meant to believe they're that? Yes. Yes. No, no screenplay, no blocking. It basically how Romero approached the film himself. Dear God. Was that you, T? Yeah, that was me. Um, I had the same intention as other people who may have revisited this film after a gap, wondering if I would like it more now. I don't, so I hope that uh, helps you all feel a little better. We all got hurt this week by this. It's it's a bad film. The only film worse than this for me in Romero's filmography is uh, There's Always Vanilla, and this is easily the worst of his zombie movies. I actually quite like Survival of the Dead. I like all of his other zombie movies. It's just that Diary of the Dead is such a stinker. It's, it feels like someone giving a new fad a go and not having a good enough grasp of it, which is a shame because, yeah, if, if he'd presented this right as a proper found footage movie, instead of trying to half-ass it, and have somebody presenting the film that they've made within the film, the, the death of death, and then showing bits from that. It it could have worked, I think, pretty well. Um, if, if he'd done that, he obviously had ideas about some inventive death scenes, and I like the bit with the, I can't remember what those things are called, the paddles, the electric shockers. I quite like that. Um, I do like the acid bit, but as Craig pointed out, it makes no sense. Uh, you know, there's some good imagery of a bunch of zombies in a pool, but these are few and far between. Um, I'm kind of okay with the way the commentary is because like Romero's commentary hasn't usually been that subtle. So I don't mind. Again, though, the biggest problem with it is it feels like someone not really jumping on the bandwagon, but trying to get a a kind of hot-button modern topic and not really knowing the best way to to treat it and to get things done. A bit of hello, fellow kids. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Hi, fellow kids. <laughs> um, it, it is. Yeah, and that's, that's a shame because I, I agree with you guys. I mean, I agree with Dave. We, we watched the entire filmography and we generally were able to have a damn good time, even if we spent far more, uh, time than most people would 
praising uh, Savini's chest drink. But it's so he, muffiny. <laughs> but he he was so good. He was so influential. As Craig said, he shouldn't have had to be, you know, scrabbling about for funding on any movie. He shouldn't have had to be just like the workman that he was, although I'm sure he would have still enjoyed that approach to his movies, but he should have been set up for life between that and, as we discussed on the Romero special, when he did something else that was arguably his best film, Martin, and then that doesn't happen, so he he would go back to the zombies and he would try and uh, sort of tweak things and, and just sort of, in a way it feels like, like selling a hit Sort of like the, you know, the, some directors will have the one for them, one for me kind of approach. It's almost like that. But with Romero, I felt like, I felt like he seemed to, he seemed to take the hits a bit more than most people. Like they, they didn't just want to give them much time if there weren't zombies around anyway. Um, which is a shame because then you end up with this. This is kind of like the pinnacle of an artist kind of being saddled with, you know, the albatross around his neck and things that modern audiences have been served up in other movies. So they crash together and they give you this. The, the acting isn't. Yeah, isn't really that good. I didn't even remember who was who. I didn't note down the names, but the one that annoyed me was that um, it was the teacher guy. I've got to say, oh, he was the worst. Yeah, yeah, he was really bad, and and getting to ham things up a bit, which which didn't help. Like it, it wasn't good for for the movie, and just didn't work. But yeah, none of the cast were were that good. There there are bits that show sort of flickers of interest, uh, flickers of things that you know Romero might be more interested in exploring when you have other people uh, with weapons and supplies. When you have the National Guard going about. But they don't really go anywhere. And the, I would say the worst thing about it is compared to every other zombie movie that Romero ever did is that the characters in this from the beginning are dumb as a box of fucking hammers. Like it's set in the present days, first of all. So any of us caught in the middle of a zombie outbreak, if we had weapons or felt capable at all, would be aiming for the head. Even if we're like, oh, we don't know what's going on. Shoot them in the head. That's it. But they get told things repeatedly through the first sort of 10 to 50 minutes. One person's like, oh, it's all a conspiracy. You can't believe what you're seeing in the news. It's all edited because that's one of the points that Romero's making. But the others are just like, okay, well, I've shot them, so that's all right. Or hey, this person's dying. Oh, no, they've got a pulse. It's okay until they get bitten. It's it's so frustrating. Like, they're so frustrating. And 
I think you know, it's, it's clear that Tyler really dislikes Survival of the Dead, but I think you would look at any of the other Dead movies, even if there are some that you somehow dislike more than this, and you can see generally better writing and generally better characters and a better level of intelligence in the characters who are normally sort of undone by greed or stubbornness or, you know, other things that allow Romero to show how zombies can be shambling around all the time and humans can be safe for a while, but there are aspects of humanity that will always trip them up, uh, aspects of human nature, sorry. But Diary of the Dead, it's just like, well, the zombie epidemic has begun and here are some fuckwits with video cameras. I can only apologise. I should have really just picked the fifth Lake Placid movie. There's five Lake Placid movies? Oh, I, I, don't, I thought there were only... Is that versus oh, Anaconda? No, really. Wow. Uh, thought, huh. I've lost... I've lost track, but I think it is. I, th- I thought there were only four. Okay, my bad. Oh, God, no. Oh, is well, that I because just... the, fourth, the fourth one takes a cue from Friday the 13th, and it's called The Final Chapter? Yeah, I took it at its word. <laughs> oh, bless you, Dave. I watched so four of them. I didn't think so there bad. needed to be more. That's fine. I will just go straight into the love bug. Picked by Dave. Um, people commented that uh, they were happy this was mentioned because I think on IMDb, I'm not sure on Letterboxd, but it's classed as part of a TV series, The Wonderful World of Disney. Okay, yeah, they're, they're TV movie TV series. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Yay for us for bringing us the attention of some people. Uh, directed by Peyton Reed. And, uh, you know, he's gone on to, to sort of bigger things, mainly the, the Ant-Man movies are the ones that spring to mind. But you know, did you deliberately pick this, Dave? Because you wanted to throw some more Bruce Campbell at Tyler. Well, um... <laughs> Okay, if you want to know my actual thought process, I wanted to pick some of the weird Japanese, um, you know, Ultraman movies, but like so many of them are just episodes released theatrically that were only 38 minutes. So I was like, nah, I can't pick something that's not like a real movie. And then in desperation, I went, oh, I, re- I remember this. Oh, <laughs> you know, and it's got like half the cast of The Mummy. So I thought, yay. That's... It's true, yeah. Um, uh, first of all, let me say, as a listener to last week's episode, uh, damn you, Dave, for misspeaking the name of Dean Jones. Can't remember what you called him, but it wasn't Dean Jones, Dave. So how dare you? How dare you besmirch the name did of I, the original drug driver? What did I call him? I can't remember. I meant to call him Dean, Dean Jones. Dean Young? Or I might, Yeah, maybe. My bad. John Jones or something. I'm, anyway, I'm sorry. Um, Rest in peace, Mr. Jones. <laughs> he uh, he is kind of a bridge to this. Uh, Ryan Rowe is marked as the writer, but it's based mainly on the, the earlier films as well. So the story is 
Bruce Campbell being Hank Cooper who gets ownership of Herbie needs a bit of work and uh, this means that he comes under the watchful eyes of Simon Moore the third an evil scheming Scottish racer played by John Hanna and hijinks and Sue. And as you said, Dave, yeah, the mummy cast is round out Kevin J. O'Connor's in there, uh, in a small role. And he's less annoying here than he is in some other movies. Uh, Alexandra Wentworth in here is uh, a woman, Alex Davis, who could be potential love interest with Bruce Campbell. I quite like the love bug. There is Herbie, who I'm always happy to see. There's Bruce Campbell, who I'm generally happier to see than Tyler is. And there's a crazy plot with an evil version of the car to be made called um, Hugo, if I'm remembering right. Is it Hugo? I think. Yes. Not sure. Yeah. Um, it's fun. You get the, the beeps and engine noises. You get a race in the finale that seemed to be taking place on a track. I would estimate it probably being about 20 miles long, considering how much time Bruce Campbell and co are stopped for before they figure they can try and then get back out of the race. But, yeah. Would I rush to rewatch this? No. And did I absolutely love it while it was on? No. But I think it's kind of... It's just nicely in the spirit of what you want from Herbie movies. Okay, I hate to interrupt, but it's Horace the Hate Bug. Oh, Horace the Hate Bug, thank you. <laughs> this is yeah. an amazing name. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this this gets, uh, you know, genuinely, enjoyably over the top and tense for a kids slash family movie. A slight spoiler here for anybody, but um, I was kind of wondering what roller coaster of emotions kids would go through when... Herbie may be dead, but then you also have people gathered round a funeral for a car <laughs> in, in a coffin, in a, in a, a plot. It, it made me smile at the ridiculousness of it, and yet I was still feeling temporarily sad because Herbie had been hurt. I didn't think that was going to be the end of Herbie. But, uh, you know, it had that moment. So it's, it's just, you know, silly. Um, f- full of, full of personality, I think. Like John Hanna, for what he's doing with the panto villain stuff is a lot of fun. It's a fun panto villain turn. Bruce Campbell kind of fits in nicely for the lead role here. He's not, um, is it, his typical full-on Bruce Campbell, but there's obviously the hint of confidence and charisma in there. And as I say, Kevin J. O'Connor's not as annoying as usual. Uh, I like seeing Dean Jones pop up. Uh, Mickey, Mickey Dolan's 
I'm not sure why he was in for a couple of scenes. <laughs> because he's just, awesome? Yeah. Fact, while well, making this film, Mickey Dolan's fought 132 ninjas single-handedly. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Dana Gould and Harold Gould and, you know, everybody, everybody feels like quite worthwhile for their casting. Especially Dean Jones, like that, that kind of thing can always feel like a bit of a, uh, a sort of easy option, a shortcut, the, the bridge and a, a small fancy cameo. But his, his appearance is at just the right time and the way he sort of, you know, nudges everyone along. I, I just thought it was really effective for what it's setting out to do. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Been a while since I watched a Herbie film. And I'm kind of tempted to go back and watch them all again and embrace my inner Herbie. Well, I'm going to start with a bit of, I'm going to start with a bit of life advice. Like, if you're ever confused by the direction your life is taking, maybe you want to kickstart a little period of deep and honest introspection, you know, you should dedicate most of a Saturday afternoon to watching and making notes on a VHS rip of a 90s Herbie reboot. Because once you've done that, you will ask yourself some probing questions about your life. What is you doing? Where are you going? And questions like, now, how do you find yourself watching so many painful films that, that a 1997 Love Bug reboot is actually one of the highlights of your week? How does that happen? But it it was it's it's a fun little movie. Kevin's Kevin's bang on. It's it's breezy and it's sweet and it is far far stranger than it ever needed to be. It just kind of yeah, like Kevin said, it perfectly evokes those kind of extremely random Disney live action offerings from the you know the sixties and the seventies. That classic kind of Sunday afternoon fare, which was just if you stop to think about it, really fucking out there and strange. Uh, and this, yeah, it really follows in that tradition. I think the cast are great. Like, I think, again, in a tradition of these kinds of films, they're incredibly game. Like, you've got Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell's the king of winking at the screen. you got him, John Hanna, Kevin O'Connor, Clarence Williams III, Alexandra Wentworth. I think Alexandra Wentworth deserves extra praise for playing someone who clearly wants to fuck a car but does manages to do so in a really wholesome way. It's impressive. Like, the whole cast are playing this completely unhinged film with total wholesome sincerity, and it is kind of beautiful. It would have been very easy to go, like, postmodern cutesy with this film, but they don't. They just they just play it as it always was, and I'm so glad because it works. Like, I really dug the story. Herbie's origin story is completely fucking deranged. Um, the inclusion of that evil Herbie or Horace is, is perfect. The whole funeral segment with that beautiful camo is actually inspired. I loved that. And the relationships between the characters, they have a surprising amount of heart. I actually cared about the outcome of this movie, which I did not expect. Like I was, I was all the way in. And I was all the way in, partly for the human cast, but, you know, mostly for Herbie himself, because 
fuck me. I'd forgotten how intensely emotionally connected I could become to that fucking car. Like, he remains adorable. My heart, my heart, it broke into a thousand pieces as he searched for City for Bruce, doing those sad little honks. I was not coping. And then that sorrow turned to just pure homicidal rage when Campbell found him, like, wrecked by evil Herbie. Just, just unbelievable rage. Like, that day, I, I swore brutal, merciless revenge against John Hanna himself. I will not know peace until celebrated Scottish Vespian John Hanna dies screaming at my hands. I will whisper, Herbie, and watch his look of blind terror <laughs> turn to knowing acceptance. You know what you did. Evil man. Like, I was, <laughs> I was invested at that point. It had got to be that fucking car. I love him. Um... And yeah, it's just totally into it. It's just so cute. I mean, it's not it's not perfect. It tends to be in a bit of a rush, I think. I think Bruce Campbell really only accepts Herbie's sentience because it's the end of the second act. I don't think any greater reason is given than that. And I don't think the final race is quite as exciting as it could have been. Probably because Peyton Reed is a terrible filmmaker. Uh but on the whole, it's just a very endearing and charming little family film. And it deserves significantly more love from Disney, who, from what I've read, have just seemingly buried it forever for some reason. I don't know why, but fuck them. Because, uh, yeah, Love Bug 1997 is a fun little movie. To be fair, not just this one, a lot of the World of Disney stuff, which they did some good stuff on it that people love is buried and sometimes it's it's weird like i think the only ones that have really kind of gotten through are a couple of like mr boogity and a couple of others yeah. that are just deeply loved by a cult and and to be fair some of them are best forgotten but like even not quite human you can't find generally and those those were huge for a hot minute there's a lot of love online for this one. There's a lot of people who want, you know, at least would like a SD fucking version on Disney Plus. It's a little something. But no, BH Rip it is. Until that's taken down. Cricks. Was that you? Yes, that's me all done, T. So I'm not entirely sure what fucking planet I'm actually living on right now because I just heard two positive reviews in a row for this movie. Uh, like if little Tyler was forced to watch this in the 90s, I may have went all bad seed on every fucking soul who brought this upon my eyes in 1997. <laughs> uh, it's pretty bad when Disney doesn't even want to acknowledge your existence. Those fuckers put out like nine releases of The Little Mermaid every year and they won't even put this bitch on Disney+. Plus. So, uh, this feels like a bad TV movie because it is a bad TV movie. Bruce Campbell is a terrible actor. I will never, never get the love for this man. I mean, he's dull. He's a dull, boring, meat sack of a human being. He's devoid of any personality at all, especially in this movie. I mean, he's, he's okay in like the first Evil Dead and Escape from L.A. and the Spider-Man movies, but he's fucking terrible at this. Just awful. Awful. And the movie itself is terrible. So, so I can't really fully blame him. I mean, the car funeral was hilarious. 
and uh, the whole entire movie should have been about Horace, the hate bug. And I probably wouldn't have given it a pass, even with Campbell, because I don't know. It's it's just crazy to think that Peyton Reed actually had a pretty big directing career after this, because the direction of this is like lifeless and just non-existent. I, I'm not really familiar with the Herbie series. I've only ever seen that Lindsay Lohan movie. Which was, I mean, kind of cute, I guess. I just, I don't know. Uh, Lindsay oh, you, you would, now. you would hate the Herbie series. Yes, I, I, if it's anything like this, yes, I would. Like I said, the Lindsay Lohan one was passable because Lindsay Lohan has personality. I mean, just somewhat. But I don't know. I just, I, if the rest of the series is like the Love Bug from 1997, I think I will pass on this series for the rest of my life, unless I'm forced. <laughs> Everybody make note of that. So he yes. hates Lovebug. So he hates Herbie. Uh, I don't hate Herbie. I just say uh, the, the car's cute, I guess. Just unfortunately, he, the car was partnered up with Bruce Campbell. So, yeah. I was not a fan of this one at all. Uh, fun fact, this is Peyton Reed's second uh, D- Disney TV movie. He had, uh, the year earlier, he had remade The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Do you know who starred in that, Kevin? Uh, the original was Kurt Russell. Yeah, no, I'm talking, I'm talking about Peyton Reed's remake. I'm going to have a random guess. Uh, what year would that have been? Uh, late, mid to late 90s. Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. <sighs> nah, it'd be too early for, like, Justin Long. Yeah. I don't know. Kurt Cameron. Oh my god. god. <laughs> yes. Uh, although you know he did immediately The anti Kurt. Yes. Yes. Well he did immediately follow this up with his actual best work ever, which was the thirteen episodes of the Weird Al show. It's all been downhill since then. I I, I hate to tell you, T, I, I really feel bad for what I'm about to say. I enjoy this movie and uh I always have I don't I don't love it. Um there are a time or two where you're sitting there watching and you think as much as I love uh Bruce Campbell and Clarence Williams the 3rd, it would be a little bit better if uh they just filled the rest of the cast with the the mummy cast. I mean, think think about it, Brendan Fraser in that role. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that would have been that would have been a modern classic nobody would try to avoid. Um the, yeah, the Disney TV movies are weird. There are so many of them and some of them are pretty good. Some of them are deeply loved to this day and you can't see them. Um Under Wraps, kids have a zombie. It is deeply loved. People love that movie. It's not even streaming. You can stream a remake that is not good, but not the original. Only like a handful of them are still even acknowledged by Disney. And that's only because people, like, threatened them for decades. Like, <laughs> Mr. Boogity and Bride of Boogity and uh, my mom's dating a vampire only got through. And those are, uh, like, I love all three of those. Honestly, I'm going to have to watch them next month at least twice. <laughs> I know it. Um, You know, but those have, like... In extreme cults who would have burned their servers if they didn't put them up. But, you know, stuff like The Boy Who Could Fly or uh, The Child of Glass, uh, Herbie, 
the computer reward tennis shoes remake, or even the the Shelley Long Freaky Friday. They, they don't get any love. I, I mean, Disney has thousands of TV movies they are just keeping locked up. I don't know why, but this one's uh, solid. Jones's parts are good. It's always great to have uh, Herbie. I do agree that Campbell only accepts Herbie's sentience, not because he sees anything that would, you know, sell it on him, just because it's time for the second act ad break. <laughs> but it, it it's a 97 TV movie. I mean, there's only so much they can do, and what they do is fun. I enjoy uh, Dana Gould and John Hanna as the villains. I like how they kind of slide around the fact that VWs were made by Nazis. Like, they explain Herbie's history and just kind of gloss over the fact that the people's car was ordered by, you know, Hitler. Even though they talk a lot about how we were making the people's car in Germany, a car for the people. They don't mention the concentration camp slave labor either. Just kind of glide over it, and that's kind of a funny bit. Especially when they're trying to make an, they're making an evil, they're making an evil bug, which it, you know, that car's a Nazi. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> kind of wish it just had a red racing stripe, but it doesn't, which is kind of a, a, a loss. Uh, it's it's a cute movie. It's not a great movie. It's not one worth you know talking a lot about, but it's enjoyable. And if you want to watch a stupid old Herbie movie that you probably haven't seen. Since it originally aired, you should look this one up because you can find it and it's cute and it'll keep the kids quiet for a while. I give this one two thumbs up. Sorry, T. Herbie okay. Sweep incoming, baby. I mean, that's that's only till you pen your script for Herbie Goes to Kristallnacht, <laughs> which is obviously coming up at some point. <laughs> Horus goes to Kristallnacht. Yeah. Oh my god, I would watch that. Fuck, I would. Starts with him killing Lindsay Lohan and he just goes through the surviving casts. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Gets painted at the end and drives off with, I don't know, Ryan Reynolds driving him into the sunset. Uh, no, not Ryan Reynolds. Uh, no, Ryan Reynolds. Not Did I say Reynolds or got? Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. I did say Reynolds. Okay. I thought Ryan Gosling, but that's not what I wanted to say. I wanted to say Reynolds, and I said what I wanted to say. Canadian men named Ryan apparently are a weakness (laughs) of mine. (laughs) I had no clue until just this minute. I'm going to defer to Craig for the next one. Uh, Well, uh, I chose Death Wish 5, so Hellraiser Inferno it is. Oh, fuck. Um, I I had not ventured this far into the Hellraiser series. I hadn't ventured any further than the the thoroughly underrated Hellraiser Bloodlines. Uh, so yeah, this is this is the one where the most positive comments I've ever heard regarding it are, you know, if you exclude Tyler, it isn't quite as shitty as the ones that came after. Uh, those are the most ringing endorsements I've heard of this film. And on top of that, it's a fucking Scott Derrickson film. And I've never seen a Scott Derrickson film that didn't feel like it should be the last ever Scott Derrickson film. But it never is. I don't know why. I don't know who he has Polaroids off. But still with us. So yeah, I was not jazzed 
for Hellraiser Inferno, and rightly so because it is it's a very very poor movie, like very. Uh, like from the moment Craig Sheffer's protagonist, like in the first scene, I think the opening scene, he beats a character known simply as Professor at chess, and I knew I was about to witness the C spot run of the Hellraiser franchise, like a stunningly dumb film with nothing but disdain for an audience it assumes to be drooling half-wits. No surprises, no insight, just... It's a cinematic equivalent of the mazes you get on the back of children's diner menus. The story is like 99% the most predictable shit you've ever seen. Is this the first one that was just a a random script repurposed for, for Hellraiser? Yes. Well, you can fucking tell because it's predictable as fuck. The Hellraiser, you know, mythos hardly gets any play. And there are all these moments of just essentially unconnected and pointless nonsense, like the fucking the Kung Fu cowboys emerging from from the smoke. Just what the it's it's just so dumb and so so thoroughly un-Hellraiser. I mean, you know, Hellraiser 3 was dumb, but it was a Hellraiser movie. This is just... And it's impossible to care about any of it. Like, the situations aren't compelling, the characters aren't compelling, the performances are terrible. Like, Craig Shepard is amazingly bad. Like, his performance is 99% raised eyebrows and pouting. Like, he looks like he just graduated from the Derek Zoolander Center for guys who can't act good and who want to learn to do other stuff good too. He is appalling. And Nicholas Turturro, who I consider to be like a pathological overactor in most cases, is giving this about 20%, like at best. This is like the the congr- con- contractually obliged to say these words in a specific order, school of acting. Like He's just said, fuck you, I will say all of the words that you have written on this, but I, I will give them no emotion. I refuse. I mean, James Ramar is fine. He's the kind of guy who can, you know, roll up during his lunch hour and out-act the rest of the cast. But, yeah, everyone else in this is, is just different shades of bad. And I already know Tyler is going to claim otherwise, but this film is fucking ugly as sin. Like, it has this wildly inconsistent and half-hearted noir aesthetic that I feel like it's swinging for Angel Heart, but it lands on, like, failed CSI pinhead pilot. Like, it just looks like a real shitty TV pilot, and it's all overlaid with this hideous kind of skidmark-hued colour filter. It's just so fucking ugly. And the soundtrack, man, that fucking Mortal Kombat Annihilation-ass fucking soundtrack was pain. Like, I... I found this film to be extremely painful. I mean, if I had to say one nice thing, there are some really impressive practical effects. Some really, really impressive ones. Like uh, the scene with those two female Cenobites are like reaching underneath Shepherd's flesh. That was amazing. Like there's, there's, there's some good work going on like way, way behind the camera. But other than that, like Hellraiser Fellow is just a turd. And I, Apparently, it's a very hard to flush turd if the further sequels are actually worse than this. It's 
is unimaginable, but also I, I don't doubt it. Uh, and I know, I know Tiger will make us watch them. I'm very sad about that, but yeah, I, I, there's a little cult for this film that it, it does not deserve because it is, it is a jar of piss. And, ah, uh, at least I got it watched now. Sorry, Tyler, I hated it a lot. I love you. I mean, Craig's not wrong, but I've seen the ones that come after. I've seen all, all ten Hellraiser movies and they get so much, they get much worse. I mean, just wait until you see, uh, Hell World. Oh, that's something special. That one was Superman. Uh, yes. And, um, Lance Hendrickson. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's bad. Uh, anyway, uh, this is, this is not a good, this is not a good movie. Uh, there's bits I like. Uh, like when the Cenobites are on screen, the Cenobites all look good. And there's decent effects with them. The half chatterer looks fine. The two blind sexy things are, are a nice design. Uh, James Ramar is always great and total, totally fucking wasted. Dude, how do you have him there and you just, he's in two scenes. He has, he has fewer lines than, uh, Tatiana Malzani had in Diary of the Dead. Like, like, why even have him there? Uh, why even have fucking Pinhead? Pinhead shows up twice. Twice. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I don't get why Pinhead is even fucking there. Like, like at all. I don't understand. I don't understand why they made this a pinhead movie. Like, I don't mind the idea of using these characters in other ways, but there is no reason for them to be there. They didn't even bother cramming them in. They literally just changed the character's name on the page. Because obviously in the original script, it was surprise character A who was in the Pinhead place. I mean, they didn't even remove the character that Pinhead took lines from. He is still there. He's still an active part. Why? Why not just remove him and have Doug Bradley play that? That dude doesn't know who fucking Pinhead is. And then the audience is like, oh, uh uh-huh, because it's not a surprise when the reveal happens. It's like a no fucking shit, guys. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm going to be a little bit kinder than Craig. I, I think uh, Craig Sheffer's not good, but he does his best. He does the best that anybody could with his part. Because his role kind of sucks. Like, the, I'm not going to say, you know, oh, how dare they make a really dumb cop. But, like, this guy is like painfully stupid like I don't understand how he didn't lose his badge decades ago stupid and they keep telling us how smart he is and that's something I cannot fucking forgive don't spend 20 minutes talking to me about how smart someone is if they act like they're fucking brain damaged like if they need a drool cup to stop to keep their chest clear I don't want to hear how they're a super genius unless like you have like Look, if they have a physical issue, that's one thing. But if they're just stu- drool on myself stupid, that's something else, you know? Uh, it's it's just bad. It's not fun. 
It wastes the premise. It is an ugly looking film. Explain that fucking ice cream truck to me. Like, it's got naked ladies on the outside of it. Like, are we not supposed to see that? Like, they had no restraint in anything. So, by the time the reveal rolls around, it's like, well, no shit, because you kept showing us this. You kept, like, going, ah, you're too dumb to fucking see what I'm doing. Ha ha ha, fuck you. No. No, Scott Derrickson, fuck you. And your shitty fucking script. It's a, it's a bad fucking movie. And it's not, it's not fun. Yeah, okay, it, it, have I watched this like five times late at night on Sci-Fi Channel when I couldn't sleep? Yes. But guess what? That's how I've seen every Hellraiser movie more than four times. And yeah, sometimes being edited for TV is a mercy. And in this case, being like 20 minutes shorter because of ads is a fucking mercy. Sure, it's better than Deader and Hellworld and... Uh, what else? Judgment. Revelation. Hellseeker. But man, like the, f- the first four, the theatrical Hellraisers, I love. I even love Bloodlines, and that's got issues. But this is just... I, I don't get how Hellraiser's still going. Like, how it's still a viable concept after these direct-to-DVD movies. Tyler might have hated the love bug, but... I guarantee it hurt him less than this hurt, well, everyone. Uh, yeah, this is a solid Kevin Seven. So, y'all can suck it. Me and Tyler will enjoy this one. I I like Kelly's Inferno. I think that may be partly because I have endured the rest of the series and as Craig says a lot of times the praise for this one tends to be couched in the phrasing of it being better than so many of the other entries but I I just generally enjoy this for what it is it, it certainly although it still feels like the Hellraiser elements are mashed in there. It feels like a more cohesive film than others where they've stuck Pinhead or the puzzle box in there and tied it all up at the end. I mean, especially Hellworld. It's a friggin' mess. Um, <clears throat> and Deader, is Deader the one with Carrie Wurr in it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So at least that has Carrie Wurr in it, but that's, that's also just a big mess. They're, they're just a big collage of horrible awfulness as the series goes on. Uh, Nicholas Torturo is always the least welcome of the Torturos. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm never excited to see him on screen. Always forgot he was in this. It's actually one of his sort of less annoying screen performances from from stuff that he's not in with his brother. So that's something. Uh, I always liked Remar. He was good. Uh, you know, Bradley's good in his few minutes on there. And 
Craig Sheffer. Like, it's not been that long since we last watched a Craig Sheffer movie, damn it. I am not turning us into the Craig Sheffer podcast. I will not do it. What was that crazy alien musical you made us watch, Dave? Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which was amazing, and you guys did oh. not properly appreciate. This is, <laughs> this is why Craig needs base. to be here more. Nature of a Beast, if George Michael had sang it, it, it would still be a banger to this day. People would still be listening to that song. It is glorious. I think, I think this would be a much better film with a better lead though. I've never hated Craig Sheffer, but I think he's one of those actors where you could always think of better options generally. Maybe maybe not so much for Nightbreed. I think he's, for some reason, he's a really good fit in the lead of Nightbreed. Uh, and he was picked for his looks for Voyage of the Rocky Lands. But even then, you'd find a better you know, just male bimbo type to put in that role. And it could have worked just as well, I reckon. So A river runs think, through it, dude. Come on. He shop-soiled Josh Brolin, basically. Sorry? He's shop-soiled Josh Brolin. Just get Josh Brolin. Uh, yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, the, the original genetic material for the, uh, David Boreanaz project. <laughs> it's, it's just not that, that good though. He doesn't really have the, he doesn't really have the acting chops for showing a decent range. And he doesn't have the the presence or charisma. If this had somebody who was, you know, able to show a bit more while the character was being put through the ringer, I think this would be, you know, all the better for it. But I, I like it. I think the imagery is good, especially the the bit that Craig mentioned, but there are other bits dotted throughout and it is obvious where it's going, but I don't think I don't think you really watch any Hellraiser film and think, well, I wonder where this is going to end up. It's not not really mysterious once you've sampled the delights of the first film and seen what the creations are. I get that it could be done better and smarter and maybe. If you dislike it more, you're thinking, you know, it's, it has a sort of self-satisfaction it doesn't deserve. But I, I think it's just kind of doing things by the numbers in a way with the mystery element and, and the horror throughout it. I think for doing that, it's, it's really good. As I say, it's just a real relief as well once you watch the other ones in the series. So I like it. Solid. So would Kevin Seven for me. And now Tyler can gush. That number is meaningless to me now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as you guys already know, Hellraiser is one of my favorite horror franchises ever. Like Halloween, I am a complete apologist for anything that comes from this series. Uh, Hellraiser Inferno is actually one of my favorite Hellraiser movies. Uh, top three, for sure. Uh, even with the Hellraiser elements removed, I still would have loved this movie. Uh, I got some Max Payne vibes, especially when he's running around the house at the end with a shotgun, a little angel heart, some Jacob's Ladder, 
I love the Silent Hill-esque visuals and the atmosphere of this movie. Uh, I love the Cenobites, especially the Wire Twins. I love that scene when the hands are going underneath the skin that looks fucking awesome. Uh, Pinhead does have very little screen time, but I love how he plays more of a moralist in that whole end sequence. Uh, I thought Doug Bradley did a great job there. Uh, it's by far Scott Derrickson's best directed film to date, in my honest opinion. Uh, I do like the Sinister movies, though. The first one, especially. Um, I love how our lead character is a piece of shit. I just, I love a good, unreliable narrator, and I think Craig Shepard does a solid job here. There is one sequel that comes after this that I will praise just as much as this one, and a lot of people don't agree with me, but I really love Hellraiser Deader. I don't agree I with you. Really, I really like that movie. A lot. A lot. I love the whole atmosphere of that movie of the suicide cult. It's fucking awesome. And I may have to pick that in October. Maybe. Just maybe. But yeah, I am a, uh, I'm a big fan of this one. It, it gets more love than most of the Hellraiser sequels towards the end, which always surprised me because I always thought this people hated this one, but I've seen a lot more love for it down the line over the years, so uh, yeah, I will uh, defend it forever. I am a big fan of Hellraiser Inferno. I mean, it does it does look much better after you sit through Judgment and Revelations and Hellworld and Hellseeker. I like all those, but we'll see. Uh, I, 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 I am, really like, I really like Judgment a lot. A lot. I, I know you do. I, I am hyped for the the new Hulu one. That's looking really good. You know, David Gordon Green's gonna fuck up uh, Hellraiser after Exorcist. He's developing a TV series for HBO that's gonna follow the TV, the straight to video uh, timeline. I had no idea actually yep. about his. I I know about the remake coming out for Hulu, which looks awesome, but uh, I didn't know about the TV one. Yep, the Legacy series. So, oh, well, that's after his trilogy of uh, Exorcist. Uh, God, his his. I'm sorry, his Halloweens are so bad. No, it's okay. Uh. Fun fact, this is totally unrelated to Hellraiser Inferno, but um, Clive Barker said the best sequel of the later half of the series is Hellseeker. So he said that one felt more in line to his original film than any of them. Because so. he wrote the third uh, act. Did he really? Yeah. No idea. Okay, yeah, he, he had, he he had input it. on that one. Oh, I had no idea. I, I, I thought it was the same dude that... I. I thought, you know, what the hell was his name that did all the three? Uh, Rick Boda. I thought he wrote that. Yeah, he, he he did, although, you know, yeah, no. Barker was involved in the creative process, and especially the third act, he, he rewrote it uncredited. So that's why he likes Hell, hell Seeker the best. Okay, I got you. <laughs> I got you. So is that me for Death Wish? All right. Yeah. Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. Paul Kiersey is back at working vigilante justice when his fiancée Olivia has her business threatened by mobsters. Uh, I like Death Wish 5, actually. I always thought it was massively underrated in terms of this franchise. I don't think it's anywhere near the levels of Death Wish 1 and 2, both of which I love dearly. But it's definitely on par with 4, which is also pretty underrated. There is no Death Wish 3, uh, so I have nothing to compare it to there. 
so strange that a franchise would just skip a part three like that. Weird. Um, someone gets killed by a uh, poison cannoli, which is amazing. Uh, there's a random football bomb because why not? Uh, Michael Parks is incredible. He hams that shit up, but it's wonderful. I love him as a villain here. Uh, visually, it's the cheapest looking movie of the series, but I think it just adds to the whole scuzziness of that New York atmosphere. This movie came out in like 1994, and it looks like a movie from 1984. Like, if you would have told me this came out in 1984, I would have totally believed you. It doesn't look 90s in the slightest. Uh, Bronson is definitely too old for the role here, though. I mean, and it really shows he's still good in it, but you can kind of start to see the disinterest in the role a bit here. Uh, he really, dude, homies should really stop getting into relationships, though, or just stop talking to women in general because, bro, and it can end well for them. <laughs> I mean, you can't even have a fucking maid. You're just cursed. You're just cursed. Just stop. Uh, it's a solid little revenge film, though. Like I said, it's nowhere near the levels of one and two for me because I really love those movies a lot. Uh, but it's perfectly entertaining for a final part in the series. I, I, I enjoy Death Wish 5 a lot. Me too. I'm, yeah, it's it's no one. One is, you know, kind of a classic and two is pretty good. But it's it's maybe, you know, the third a distant third, but still third in the listing. Uh you know, it's it's always good to see uh Bronson do his thing, you know. Uh Leslie Ellen Dowd's fine as the girlfriend, although I I love I love how they talk up like how messed up looking she is when she's just got <laughs> like a cut she's got like six cuts on her face they're not like in the center no they're like all on the extremities uh the bad I guy just pissed off her cat <laughs> yes she looks like she just volunteered at the animal shelter on kill cat day and you know i don't blame them for taking it out on her but that's gonna heal she'll be fine <laughs> it reminded me of uh Phantom of the Opera, where he's unmasked and it's Gerard Butler. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, Michael Parks is a great villain. Uh, I I really like um, uh, crap. Saul Rubinek is a solid actor. He plays uh, District Attorney Brian Hoyle. Uh, he's always good and stuff when he pops up. He's another one of the guys that was in, uh, the Nero Wolf series I mentioned earlier. Uh, again, Michael Parks is always great. Robert Joy is a solid, uh, flunky for him. And he does some, like, some great, there's some great kills in this. I mean, some of it might be a little problematic, like, when he dons a dress to attack a woman in a bathroom. I'm actually surprised that hasn't popped up on more shitty right-wing talk shows as evidence of some bullshit. Sorry, I, I got distracted at just how misused that scene could be by assholes. Um, we're, Oh, uh, Miguel Sandoval? Oh, it's, man, I love seeing Miguel Sandoval pop up. He is He is a solid character actor who deserves more love. Uh, I mean, he's not in this very much, but, you know, a few scenes, he's he's really good. It is a fun little revenge film from, you know, it does it does feel like it was made in 1987, though. 
It looks like it was made in 87. It sounds like it was made in 87. They filmed it using film stock they'd had left over from 1987. I do have one question. How does Paul Kiersey afford such a nice house when he's supposed to be... Like, isn't he in witness protection? Isn't that how 4 ended? Yeah, yeah, but I don't know why, because he killed like the top guy at the end of four. I'm not <laughs> sure what's going on with him. So he's he's like in hiding, but not because he's still in the same city, in a same name, big house with the same name. Yeah, but what you know, whatever. And they never explained why a fashion house has a giant vat of acid just open on the floor. <laughs> but I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm sure there's a reason. I guess I, I guess sometimes you just got to destroy. Your product in the most overwrought way possible. That way, I guess it's not stolen by Versace. Uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It's it's an enjoyable little flick. It's not great. I mean, like, if I was going to watch a Death Wish, I'd just, you know, I'd watch Death Wish. But sometimes you want a little light Death Wish filler, and it's it's a little light Bronson where... Uh, it's actually Bronson being Bronson and not a guy pretending to be him like so many other movies since his death. It's, mm. a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a decent one. You, you, you guys are weird. I just didn't like Death Wish 5. It's... I mean, I can't believe you can go on about the likes of Diary of the Dead feeling like basically tired and worn out and then you're all going to sit there and praise death wish five i didn't praise it i said it's watchable that is totally different and um, diary of the dead is not very watchable. seriously yes yeah i mean this this doesn't take itself seriously fair enough um it's silly it's completely unbelievable even down to the yeah the witness protection thing i, I don't get that don't don't they just say to him at one point, you know, you're the vigilante guy. Like, what is he supposed to do? Just be like, you give him stinking bub. Yes, I mean, literally the only people <laughs> that don't rec- the only people who don't recognize him are the organized crime guys, the people yeah. who should recognize him. <laughs> like you could you could watch him chase someone down the street and shoot them. He'd, he'd just be turning around shrugging and be like, it's some of the gay. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's a Bronson flick. He's doing what his fan base would have wanted him to do. I, I just think, like, there should never have been five dish. Death Wish films. I think stopping at three would have been great uh, and would have left a mystery finale for Tyler to try and discover one day. It's Counterpoint, there should have yeah. been ten. With him just getting more and more <laughs> decrepit and hopeless. Just really like to, to the brink, to the brink of his the end of his life. Just keep him going. Um the weird thing about I I can't recall if the previous installments go from like zero to a hundred so quickly because in this one you see Bronson smiling, got to meet a woman. There's a child sort of dancing around in the area. They're all in public. Meanwhile, gangsters are bursting at this area and about to take a 
a bandsaw to a guy or something, and you know that uh, their paths are going to collide very shortly. And obviously, it does with with calamitous results for people who know Paul Kersey, but not Paul Kersey himself, because he can be through life shooting people around him and just mourning <laughs> the corpses of those who once gave him the slightest bit of affection. Isn't isn't his friend killed in like the first five minutes of three? Uh, oh, possibly. It's, it's, it's been like, a while since I've seen it. Like, just... It's like... His friend is killed here. before he arrives. Yeah. Wait, is, is one the only one that basically takes yes. a bit, a little bit more time to set up the premise? Yeah, I, I think I think his friend's killed in the first five minutes before he even shows right. up. And his daughter's raped in the first, like, 10, 15 for two. Right. So, yeah, this one took a little bit more time than the others. If he made the death his daughter, in two, walks out of the hospital, having just recovered from her trauma, and walks straight into a into a, a raping. Oh. It's just like, well, you, you can't leave the house if you know this man, or yeah. stay in the house. I was going to say, if, if they ever did make a death with six, it would just be somebody walking behind Paul Kersey, shooting everyone in the face once he's smiled at them in passing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can see what they were going for as well with uh, with Michael Parks. And I, I like Michael Parks, but I didn't, I didn't like him here. It was... It was a fun, over-the-top villain performance, but I don't know how it, it either like wasn't surrounded by enough other fun, or or he was just a little bit maybe too irritating for me. I can't I can't decide if I wanted other aspects to match his performance, or if I wanted his performance. To dial down a bit more at times so you could see more menacing. And that sort of stopped me from loving Parts' performance. I kind of enjoyed Robert Joy's performance a bit more because, you know, he, he kind of livens up the film with his main appearances. He's there being used as, as a person to bump others off. So that was, that was quite good there. But, I just found it like quite boring. There are one or two decent uh, kill scenes, but the final act—I was just waiting for it to be over. Like we know, again, like a lot of films we watch, we know where it's going. Like just get to that, and I can check it off the list. And that's me done for this week for the podcast. <laughs> so that's it. I think this was a. Uh, if I remember right, this was, uh, it wasn't the last film I watched for the podcast this week, but it was the second part of a, of a double bill I had one evening. Like, okay, okay, Kersey, just kill him and get to the end credits. That's, that's me. It's just, okay. Yeah. Before I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then I'll try and be quick. Um, Right, first things first, just to make one thing very clear to you, to, to listeners and to my co-hosts, there are no bad Death Wish films. 
that none. They were they were bad people. The Bruce Willis one. Otherwise, no fuck. Okay, <laughs> the original five. None of them are bad. That they're all fun to some degree. Like if anyone ever says to you, "Oh yeah, I, I love Death Wish films," just make sure to skip number. Just cut them off right there. Spit in their face. Never speak to them again. The Death Wish films are all good. All five. Just there's a nice little set going in the UK. It's about twenty quid for all five, and just the the ugliest little box, but you'll own them all, and that'll be good. Uh, I really like Death Wish Five: Face of Death, aka Death Wish Five: Proposal of Death. Uh, like seriously, oh god, that's such a better table. To her. Name, not table. That's Don't a better name. Away. Why did I say table? <laughs> <laughs> because the proposal made you remember the rank proposal slash Bronson smooching scene. It did. <laughs> <laughs> He, le- he doesn't need to shoot all of these people. He needs to go to his local newspaper, announce his engagement to anyone he wants dead. Boom. They won't last tonight. But he, he likes shooting people, so let him have some fun. Uh, Bronson is fun in this, but it's mostly because he's just too old. Far, far too fucking old for it. Like, he is definitely too old to be an irresistible, raisin-eyed fanny magnet. Like, I don't get that at all. And he's far, far, far too old for bad guys to be saying things like, son of a bitch is fast, after he's thrown a punch that was telegraphed in 1844 by Samuel Morse himself. Like, he is decrepit already at this point, and I kind of love it. Uh, Michael Parks is, for my money, the best villain in the series. Like, he is totally incompetent. He is embarrassingly small-time. But he's just amazingly and cartoonishly evil and so much fun. And he even manages, I'm not sure if he's, it's just him working the script well, but he manages a couple of chilling little moments. Like uh, when he says, he states that he's getting his daughter back and they say, oh, I didn't think he liked her. I didn't think you were that bothered. And he just kind of says under his breath, what's mine is mine. It's a really creepy little moment. And he's just, he's a top shelf prick. And I just love Michael Parks. Uh, and Robert Joy is just very, very creepy. I just love, I love what a weirdo he is. Like, all of his scenes are really strong. I, they have a kind of like lightly improvised feel to them. They feel a lot more fun and a lot more loose and unpredictable than the other scenes in the film. So I don't know whether he was allowed to, you know, improvise a little bit, but he's, he's definitely a highlight. I like, I even like Parks, uh, Michael Parks' two main goons. They have a little bit of presence, they have a little bit of personality. It's just got a lot of good villains. It's got a hilarious elderly protagonist. It's very well-paced. It's almost comically well-paced because the entire plot is set in motion by the 10-minute mark, including uh, Chekhov's Vat of Acid, a.k.a. the greatest piece of foreshadowing (laughs) in the history of cinema. You see that and you're like, yes, Park is going in there. Uh, And the stunt work. Come on, guys. I can't believe no one mentioned the stunt work. It is... Superb. There are, there are two like A plus all timer vehicular homicides in this film that feel like they're like out of one of those nineties Hong Kong action films that had no regard for human life. Like when that female cop gets tail whipped by uh, Robert Joy's getaway car, so good. Um, I think it's quite funny, unintentionally at times, but I think the funeral scenes with uh, Michael Parks is burying various goons. They have. A lot of, you know, sly humour. I enjoyed those. The action's fun. Every death is ludicrous. There's torture by giant cellophane spool. 
it culminates in a classic 90s factory showdown. It's just, it's everything it needed to be. It is as perfectly Death Wish 5 as any Death Wish 5 could possibly be. It's, it's just exactly what I want. Death Wish 5. I just wish we had 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. That deserved to go full Hellraiser, that series. They, they tried. They, they, oh, I'm sure. They tried. It was going to be Hellraiser... Or, I mean, ah, shit. Uh, Death Wish 6, I think it was going to be the the student or something. And Paul would have been dead, but it would have been taken up by his student who worshipped at his feet. Kind no, of jigsaw style. Me too, but you know. I go. Alright guys, it's it's time to pick one. Uh I have to still side with Tyler and go Hellraiser and Drama. Nice. Well, I'm I was torn between you know what, I prefer Death Wish Five to the Love Bug. I love Death Wish Five, but I'm going for the Love Bug because I know Dave's going for the Love Bug, and I'm not allowing Horizon Inferno to win. I'm sorry, T. No. Hellraiser Inferno. I I would have gone Death Wish Five if you'd gone Death Wish Five, but instead I'm going the Love Bug because I refuse to let Hellraiser Inferno win. Yay! I know that was dirty, T. I'm sorry, but I had to do it. I felt compelled. Morally compelled. I think Kevin is just some fucking fuck Kevin, you masochist. Uh, guess what next week is? October. Yes. Halloween month, baby. So, um, we're we're doing so many movies, like always. Uh, we're doing four movies. It's five weeks. Uh, the first pick of next week. I'm I'm making you guys watch Tremors. Cool. I'm making you all watch Dog Soldiers. Well, I won't be present next week, so do you still want me to pick a film? Uh, well, it's it's Halloween. Bear in mind you're asking me to pick a film that I don't have to watch. Oh, never mind. No. Kevin? No. Uh, t- <laughs> <laughs> Tyler? And I'm going with one of my favorite horror comedies ever, uh, Club Dread. You can email us at RaidersOfThePodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Raiders of the Pod. Instagram is Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast. And we're on Facebook. The page is there. Uh, Tyler's been setting up some nice posts once a week and we try and read the replies. And then I do a weekly video when I'm not being buried with the Queen. Uh, that is on YouTube. I think that's everything. But you can find us on podcast providers of your choice. Like, rate, review, subscribe, share, heal the world, make it a better place. Uh, oh no, I've just gone into Michael Jackson lyrics again, haven't I? I think that I'll never remember all of that. Uh. Just never. <laughs> Count me out. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. See ya. Yep. See you later. Bye. Oh, Hellboy's in front of rules. I got five on it. Wanna let's go have on a sack. I got five.